Welcome to the City View Community Church Podcast. Whether you're here for our weekly sermons, leadership chats, or conversations about life, we are stoked that you are here. If you want to know more of our story or want to partner with us, head over to cityviewcc.com. Our prayer today is that you walk away challenged, encouraged, and more passionate about discovering your purpose by knowing God, loving people, and living on mission. Let's jump right in. when you come in and you anticipate what what God is is wanting to do and then there's there's moments when you get into the presence of God and you realize there's something different that's going to happen here today and there's some I, I don't I don't know I don't know what you came in carrying today and and this is so completely different from first service but there you're not here by accident. The reason why you're sitting in this room is not by accident. There's, there's something that God is wanting to do today in your life. Hmm. Over the next few weeks, as I try to get into this, over the next few weeks, as we lead up to Easter, uh, and it's unbelievable that Easter is so near to us. It's so early this year and I'm not stressed at all. Not at all. No problem. As we lead up to it, we're going to be looking at the story of Esther over the next five weeks. And her story is so unique in so many different ways. And and you'll see that as we, we get into it. But one of the unique elements and aspects about the book of Esther is it's one of only two books in the entire Bible that don't mention God by name. The name of God is not actually mentioned in the book of Esther. The other book is the Bible's versions of Fifty Shades of Grey, a.k.a. Song of Solomon, a book in which you learn how to spit game as an ancient man and woman. It's, it's a very interesting, your, your, your neck is an ivory tower of jade and amethyst. Your bosom is like gazelles frolicking in the fields. It's like, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. I don't really know what's happening, but whatever works for you guys in ancient times, like you go for it. But Esther, Esther's story plays out like a fairy tale. It's amazing to see what happens. And it's this epic journey. While God's name is not mentioned, his fingerprints are all over the story. It's a a story in which we see God at work behind the scenes. And we see God do some incredible things. But Esther's story is one of, of feeling powerless in one of the most powerful empires our world has ever seen, this Persian Empire and it, it dominated the pages of history. And as as a Jewish woman in a, in a foreign land, every day of her life she felt powerless. She was surrounded by so much power. And what we'll learn from Esther is that there comes a time in your story in which you need to speak truth to the powers that are vying for control of your life. This whole series is about understanding that there comes a point in our journey in which we speak truth about the God that we serve to the storms that we are facing. 
You won't see this in your notes, but I, I want you to write this down. Esther's story teaches us this really important truth, that God keeps his promises even when we don't see him at work. God keeps his promises even when we don't see him at work. It is because of the life of Esther that her place, her position, her passion, an entire nation of people are saved. She, because of her story, rescues and saves a nation whose lineage comes the most important person ever born in history, Jesus Christ. Her story ends up being the salvation for the Jews, but we'll get there later on in the series. But the hope that we have today was birthed in the midst of her story. Her, her story is what kept that lineage alive. So let's jump into the story. I want to give you, I want to give you some context of, of where this story is taking place in history. And it's going to be important. And then we're going to get to truly the meat of what I believe God wants to share with you today. So we jump in and Esther Chapter 1, starting verse 1, it says, These events happened in the days of King Xerxes, who reigned over 127 provinces, stretching from India to Ethiopia. Huge kingdom. And at that time, Xerxes ruled his empire from his royal throne at the fortress of Susa. In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. He invited all the military officers of Persia and Media, as well as the princes and nobles of the province. The celebration lasted 180 days. This dude threw a party for 180 days. A tremendous display of opulent wealth of his empire and the pomp and splendor of his majesty. In 483 BC, King Xerxes throws this elaborate event, this banquet to show his power, show his money, but the Bible doesn't give us a really clear context in why he was throwing this party. So when you look at the Bible and you, you put it alongside the pages of history of what was happening during that time frame, this banquet was actually a military banquet. It was a party disguised as a military banquet in which Xerxes was working with his key military officials to figure out a way for them to invade and destroy Greece. He was looking to expand his kingdom even further. Xerxes is, is, is trying to expand it. As, as he did this, he had massed this army of what many believe was over a million soldiers, including 10,000 elite warriors known as the Immortals. And any of the dudes in the room that have watched movies are like, oh, I heard of them before. I know what time frame we're talking about. I've seen a few movies around these guys. So this is a context. This is a time period in which this story is happening. But Xerxes pushes his limits and does what many dudes do when they have power. He went too far. In verse 10, it says, on the seventh day of the feast, when King Xerxes was high in spirits because of the wine, in other words, he was drunk. He told the seven eunuchs who attended him to bring Queen Vashti to him with the royal crown on her head. He wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty, for she was a very beautiful woman. But when they conveyed the king's order to Queen Vashti, she refused to come. This made the king furious, and he burned with anger. He immediately consulted with his wise advisors who knew all the Persian laws and customs. 
for he always asks for their advice. He says, what must be done to Queen Vashti? What penalty does the law provide for a queen who refuses to obey the king's order properly sent through his eunuchs? And Mumakan answered the king and his nobles, Queen Vashti, let's just get a little excessive here, little guys in their feelings. Queen Vashti has wronged not only the king, but also every noble and citizen throughout your empire. Women everywhere will begin to despise their husbands and talk back when they don't want to do something when they learn that Queen Vashti has refused to appear before the king. Queen Vashti gives us our first written account of, babe, I'm not in the mood tonight. I don't know the context of what led up to this point, but Queen Vashti was like, bruh, I'm done. No, I'm not coming to walk around and prance around, be a little peacock. I am done. I'm not coming. I love how the, the, the little yes men around him freak out at a woman saying no in this moment. If you don't do something, all of the women everywhere will start to get a voice. You've got to shut this down. And so they, they tell him what you need to do is make a law that the queen can never be in your presence ever again. And you're going to remove the crown from her and you're going to give it to someone better. Vashti was probably like, good, I'm done with you, bro. In the months that follow this embarrassing moment for him in front of all of these nobles and leaders, he started facing more and more challenges. Two years later, they set sail with this immeasurable army and they run into this ragtag group of 300 Spartans led by King Leonidas. And I was reading this and reading through the pages and figuring out the history and I started, I wanted to do some ab workouts again. I started remembering the movie, Sparta! Like I was ready. I was ready for battle this week. You don't even know. But Xerxes and the, the Persians win that battle. They move on into Greece and they burn down Athens to the ground. And as the, the Greeks are, are running to the islands away, they know that Xerxes is at a disadvantage if he keeps chasing him. So they, they play into his ego and, and he attacks again in unfavorable weather and they actually lose that battle. Xerxes freaks out and he says, we, we've got to get out of this area with the majority of our army or we're going to get stuck into Europe. They're going to cut us off. Let's go back to Asia. Let's go back to our power and we'll leave this group here to deal with the rest of the Greeks that are still remaining. So this is the time frame in which Esther chapter two is happening. He's losing the battle in Greece. He's angry his kingdom is too large. There's uprisings happening, happening left and right. And this is what we see happen next. But after Xerxes' anger had subsided, he began thinking about Vashti and what she had done and the decree he had made. I can see him stewing on his throne, being reminded time and time again, I'm losing the battle in Greece. I'm losing these battles here and there. And I'm losing the battle at home. My, my wife won't even show up when I'm asking her to show up. And he's frustrated. He's overwhelmed. So his personal attendant suggested, let us search the empire to find beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint agents in each province to bring these beautiful young women into the royal harem at the fortress of Susa. After that, the young women who pleases the king will be made queen instead of Vashti. This advice was appealing to the king. So he put the plan into effect. 
At that time, there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa whose name was Mordecai, son of Jair. This man had a very beautiful and a lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. And as a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other young women, was brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. Haggai was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. He quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided her with beauty treatments from Ulta. He also assigned her seven maids, specially chosen from the king's palace, and moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. And Esther, this is important, verse 10, Esther had not told anyone of her nationality and family background because Mordecai had directed her not to do so. And every day, Mordecai would take a walk near the courtyard of the harem to find out about Esther and what was happening to her. So here, here, here's where we get to the meat of everything. Esther lost her parents. She was, she was exiled into a foreign country. Now she can go back to her country, but they decided to stay there and, and figure things out. She's having to hide her identity. She's enlisted into this pagan king's beauty contest to somehow, some way, maybe end up being the queen of Persia. Like, get out of here. There's no chance. All of these things are happening, but somehow, in the midst of her trouble, in the midst of her chaos, in the midst of her circumstances, she's right in the center of God's will right in the center of God's plan, and right in the center of God's purpose. We see immediately in Esther this reality, and it's in your notes, our situation does not determine God's faithfulness. Our situation does not determine God's faithfulness. When we allow our circumstances, when we allow our situations, the things that we're going through to determine how faithful we believe God is, we miss it. That is not the case. There's nothing, there's nothing in Esther's story that shows that God is at work. There's nothing in the story so far for her living this out on an everyday basis that goes, oh man, I totally see God's plan in this. She's just trying to survive. She's just trying to make it, trying to figure out how to live surrounded by all of this power. But the reality is, is every circumstance has a domino effect in our life and on the lives of people around us. You see, a closed door for one person may be the open door for another. Queen Vashti had gotten to this point where she was done with the foolishness. And she says, I'm not showing up. But the door that Queen Vashti closed was the door that God used to open for Esther. And sometimes in our life, we don't realize that a closed door in one season, closed door in one situation, a closed door in another person's life is actually an opportunity for God to do something unique within It takes just as much courage for some of us to close a door as much courage as it takes to walk through an open one. And each of us are challenged in our own seasons that maybe God is asking us to close a door or maybe he's asking us to step in 
It's just understanding that in every season, there is an opportunity. What is that opportunity? And it leads us to this truth that opposition does not prevent the presence of God. It provides an opportunity to prove his presence in your life. Opposition does not prevent the presence of God. It's actually the opposite. Family, what would happen if if you looked at your situation, if you looked at the opposition, looked at the powers that are vying for control in your life, and you began to speak truth into the center of your storm? What would happen if you started to pray prayers like, hey, God, I don't fully understand what's happening here. I don't know what's going on. I feel overwhelmed. I feel broken down. I feel scared. I feel anxiety. I fear. I feel all of these things, God. I don't understand what you're doing. But God, I'm choosing in this moment to remind myself that this is an opportunity for you to prove your faithfulness to me one more time. What would happen in your faith journey when you face those challenges and you face those obstacles that you said, hey, God, I don't see it. I don't feel it. But this is an opportunity for you to prove that your presence is active and evident and at work in my life. It would shift some things. We assume that adversity means that we are outside of God's will. We assume that when we're facing challenge that we did something wrong. Maybe not you, but I've been in those seasons where it feels like, why am I getting beat up left and right? What is going on? I don't understand where this is coming from. God, did I do something wrong? And there's times that we have to remind ourselves and God has to remind us. Sometimes the middle of the storm is exactly the middle of God's will. I don't like it. I don't. I hate those seasons. Those are the worst seasons. But in the midst of those seasons, we remind ourselves of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. The question is, what do you do when opposition hits your life? What do you do when you face challenges and obstacles? Does it push you away from God or does it draw you closer to him? Our response matters. The truth that we hold on to is that you might not be where you want to be, but it might be exactly where God needs you to be. God, I don't want to be in this situation. I don't want to go through this. I don't want to face this challenge. I thought I was done with all of this. And God is whispering to us, but it's right where I need you to be. It's right where I need you to be in this season and in this moment. Esther had no clue what was on the other side of her situation. So many times we read the Bible as if they had the full picture. She didn't. She had to be confused and scared and and overwhelmed and, and lonely in these moments. And yes, she could see the favor of God as he was opening doors for her and she was getting special treatment. She's getting these things and like, okay, this is cool, I guess, but she's not where she thought she would be. But it was right where God needed her to be. She had to keep going, to keep walking, to keep hoping. As you can imagine, because we're reading the book of Esther in the Bible, I wonder who King Xerxes chose. Esther 2.16 says, Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in the early winter of the seventh year of his reign. 
and the king loved Esther more than any other young woman. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. To celebrate the occasion, he gave a great banquet, shocker, in Esther's honor for all his nobles and officials, declaring a public holiday for the provinces and giving generous gifts to everyone. There's no way, there's just no way Esther and Mordecai saw this in their cards. There's just no way that Esther and Mordecai saw that in their future, in this journey, that this was where it was going to lead. Who would have known that Mordecai's provision for a Jewish orphan would lead to her being the queen of the Persian Empire? Only God. Who could have known that a simple act of compassion and care and responsibility would lead to a place in which God showed up miraculously. But this is what it looks like when you're on a journey with God at the center of it. This is what a journey with God looks like when when you and I lean into him and what it means to follow him, to trust him, the journey on the other side is unexpected. I wish I could tell you that as you lean into the faithfulness and the goodness and the plans and the purposes of God, that it just means life is going to be nothing but rainbows and unicorns and butterflies. It's not. There's going to be seasons where you walk through storms, but it's still the plan of God. There's going to be seasons where you go uphill in the snow all day long, I had to walk to school and you just don't even know what my life was like. There's going to be seasons that are hard, but God is using you. And it might not be where you want to be, but it's where he needs you to be. You see what the enemy tries to do is to draw your attention and your focus and all the things that isn't happening. He tries to draw your attention to the ways that this feels overwhelming, that it feels like you don't have enough. He tries to draw your attention away from the goodness and the faithfulness of God and point out to you all of the ways that you're struggling, all of the ways that you feel like you don't have enough. Because he knows that the moment you start to speak truth in the center of your storm, His power is diminished. His power is diminished. What is that truth? What is that truth that we hold on to, Danny? What is this truth that you're talking about? It's this truth right here that we have an unseen advantage that delivers answers when we need them most. Some of you are looking at your life and looking at your situations. You're saying, I don't have an advantage. I'm the polar opposite. When no one else could see it, David had an unseen advantage as he stepped on the battlefield with Goliath. He was overmatched. He was overwhelmed. He was undersized, but he had an advantage that no one could see. When Moses stood there with a speech impediment in front of the most powerful man in the world at the time, and he said, hey, I want you to release your entire slave force that's building your kingdom because God says it's time for them to go. He was overmatched. It didn't seem like he had an advantage. It was him standing there versus a kingdom. 
who is he to stand before me and ask for something of that magnitude? Someone who has an unseen, unfair advantage that he did not see. Daniel had an unseen advantage as he, he laid in the den with hungry lions surrounding him but he had an unfair advantage that they didn't understand when they threw him in here. Esther had an unfair advantage, an unseen advantage as she stood in the kingdom of one of the most powerful of all time in history. And she stood there not understanding that she wasn't standing there powerless. She was standing there with an advantage that no one else could see. What is that advantage? What is the advantage that you and I carry? We see it in the words of David in Psalms 28. When he says, praise be to the Lord, for he has heard my cry. The Lord is my strength. He is my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy with songs that I praise him. The Lord is the strength of his people and a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. Save your people, O oh God, and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Family, the advantage that you and I have is that we have the presence of the God of all creation on our side. The same God who showed up for David on a battlefield when he was under-resourced is the same God that's going to show up for you. The same God that showed up in Daniel's life, the same God who won victories for Moses, the one who won victories for David, the one who won victories for Gideon, the one who won victories for Peter, the one who won victories for Paul, the one who was on their side, he's on yours. And there comes a point in our journey where we need to look at the storms of our life and we need to say, I'm not going to look at the wind and the rain. I'm going to stand firmly on the fact that the God of all creation, he's on my side. The God of all creation is with me. He is the one who will fight for me. He is my advantage. He is my hope. He is my strength. He is the builder of my faith. He is the one who silences the storm. He's the one who shuts the mouth of the liar. He's the one that reminds me that as I face these battles, he is with me. He's gone before me. He's gone behind me. He's surrounding me. And family, there comes a point in our journey where we need to stand on the foundation of his faithfulness and say, I'm not listening to the storm anymore. I'm not listening to the opposition anymore. I'm reminding myself and I'm reminding my enemies. I'm reminding, I love the song that says, I may not be David, but I have my own Goliath. I have my own giants. You know what? Giants, I'm going to remind you today of who I serve. I'm going to remind you today of the God who is on my side. And we can do all of the practical things that we want to do. And I'm, I am a practical faith journey person. Every week I try to come in here and give you something practical to take into your Mondays. But there comes a point in time, family, where in the spiritual battle we have to stand up and say, I'm sick of this foolishness. The God that I serve is with me. He is for me. I'm not going to be beat up by this foolishness anymore. I silence the lies of the enemy. Because the Savior who saved my soul is still going to save me today. The God who was faithful then will be faithful now. And there is time, family, for us to stand up. He is still fighting for us. I want to leave you with a challenge as we get ready to pray. Am I missing God's provision and his promise because I'm overly focused on my problems. 
Am I missing God's provision? Family, when was the last time that you sat down in a moment with the Lord and you said, hey, God, would you remind me of all of the ways you're providing for me? But Danny, that feels overly spiritual. So what? There comes a point, family, where we need to, we need to encourage our spirit. We need to encourage our soul. When was the last time you sat down in the presence of God and you said, hey, hey, God, would you remind me of your promises to me? Would you remind me of, of the fact, we talked about this at the, at the marriage workshop yesterday, that in spite of all the things that he knows about us, in spite of all the things that he sees, all the things that he knows, all the things that we've done to him, all the things we haven't done with him, he sees us and he calls us beloved. place today and you feel like the problems outweigh his provision and it's time to start speaking truth to the problems it's time to start speaking truth to the storms it's time to start speaking truth to the powers and reminding the powers that are vying for control in your life that the God who was for me is far greater than anything that can be against me. As far as me today, I will trust the Savior who has showed up time and time again. Can we pray for him? Jesus, I pray for my friend. Holy Spirit, you are, you're doing a work right now. doing a work right now as I stood in as I stood in worship God I just I felt like you were just whispering to my spirit that there is a breakthrough anointing that walked through this door today God there's a breakthrough waiting on the other side of this for somebody today and I don't know who it is I don't know what they're facing. I don't know what they're going through. I don't know the challenges. I don't know how overwhelmed they feel. I don't know all of the things, God, but you know. And so, God, I pray right now in this moment that you would give them the courage to stand firm in their faith and speak truth to the storm and remind themselves and remind the enemy of their soul and their purpose. That the God that I serve, the God that I love, the God that has showed up for me time and time again, he will show up again and again and again and again and again. 